Hey everyone, thank you for joining me today. We are here. We are live and we are ready to go. New Hope Radio at newhoperadio.live, YouTube, Facebook, WAIV, and the Hope Club Podcast. We arrive at chapter 11 as we walk with Jesus through Mark's Gospel, focusing in on the words that Jesus spoke. Why are we doing that? To get some insight into his heart. That's why. We want to see what's really important to Jesus and in the words that he said, how can they impact us? How can they make a difference in our lives too? Today he's going to talk about two things that are really relevant, (laughs) relevant to our lives. Let's see what they are. Well, it's the Sunday of the week that Jesus is going to be crucified. And he sends his disciples into town. And he told them there would be a donkey waiting there for him. And this was all prearranged because Jesus knew what he was going to do. He always knows. He always knows what he's going to do. Isn't that good? That's the God that we have. He doesn't figure it out as he goes along like we do. You know, we're like, scratch my head, what should I do next? No, God always knows what he's going to do. All prearranged, okay? So here's what Jesus said, Mark 11, verse 2. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he will send it back here. Now, they returned with the donkey, and Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. We know that day as Palm Sunday. That's what we call it. Remember, Jesus is riding in, and people are laying their garments on the ground, and palm branches on the ground. They're hailing him as the coming king. Okay, so he rides into Jerusalem. The next day, they walked by a fig tree. And Jesus looked to see if there were any figs on the tree, (laughs) and there were none. So he said in verse 14, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He's talking to the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples, oh, they were listening. See, this tree represented Israel. And that as the fig tree made a show of what it was, but it had no figs, so Israel had become very religious, but it too had no fruit. Had no fruit at all. William Barclay, he draws two possible principles. Number one, it is a condemnation of a promise without fulfillment. Israel was supposed to be something, and they never attained to that. Jude calls false teachers wells without water, clouds without rain. In other words, they don't deliver. And Jesus is saying Israel is like a fig tree without figs. Another comment William Barclay makes is that it is the condemnation of profession without practice. 
The whole cry of the New Testament is that a man be known by his fruit. Right? Wasn't that John the Baptist's message? Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. So John the Baptist, he understood it. He understood. What is fruit? Fruit is the evidence that a tree is what it really is. How do you know what kind of tree that is? Look at the fruit. And that'll tell you. How do you know what kind of person that is? Look at the fruit. If you know it, show it. If you say you know Christ, live it. That's what it's about. That's our modern day connection. If you know Christ, then live it. If you say you're a follower of Christ, then do it. Follow him. You say, I am. Well, wait a minute. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, that's beautiful. Pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know how to do that. Well, yeah, you do. Live live a life of God's will taking priority over your own will. Okay? One man said, unless a man's religion, and he's talking about Christianity, unless a man's Christianity makes him better and more useful, if it, unless it makes him his home happier, makes his life better and easier for those in his life, it is not true Christianity. See, Christianity always provides, here it comes, a benefit to self and to others. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of Christianity, the benefit. The benefit to self and the benefit to others. So we have to ask ourselves, what am I to people? Am I people's pain or am I people's gain? God just gave me that right now, fresh, right from heaven. Am I people's pain or am I people's gain? That's a good question to ask ourselves. So, the disciples came back to Jerusalem. And something was not right. And Jesus looked around. And he looked at the courtyard outside the temple. And the courtyard had become a market instead of a place of worship. And worse yet, there were people there, they called money changers. And they were exploiting the people. What does it mean to exploit the people? Well, the people were pilgrims and they traveled for many, many miles to be in Jerusalem at the Passover. And they didn't bring sacrifices with them because of the the journey. It was too hard. So they would come to Jerusalem and they would buy sacrifices the money changes would sell the sacrifices and they could make sacrifices. But it was like going to Fenway Park, you know, $7 for a hot dog, right? So they were exploiting the people, overcharging the people. This is also the time Jesus, you know what he did? He tossed those money changes out of the temple court. He made a, he made a, a whip out of ropes and he chased them out, turned over the tables. Because these people were taking advantage of the pilgrims. They came to worship God. And these people were taking advantage of them. It's all about the money. See, there were always those that turn religion into making money. You can see these guys on TV too. Always asking for more money. And things haven't changed too much. 
And that's what these money changers were doing, taking advantage of the people. So in verse 17, Jesus said, is it not written? And he's going to quote Isaiah. So Isaiah said this 700 years before. And he quoted him and he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. It's Isaiah 56, 7. And Jesus oftentimes quoted the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because he knew the scriptures. Oh, yeah. Jesus studied the scriptures. He knew the scriptures, and he spoke the scriptures. Now, when Jesus used Isaiah's prophecy against them, this really upset the chief priests and the scribes. And now, again, they're trying to figure out how to kill him. I'm like, what? You know, there's people in the Bible I'm glad I, I'm not. I'm glad I'm not the one that slapped Jesus in the face when they arrested him. I'm glad I'm not the guy that pressed down the thorn of the thorny crown, the crown of thorns on his head. I'm glad I'm not the guy that drove the nails into his hands in the cross. I'm glad I'm not the guys that wanted to figure out how to kill Jesus. Oh, I'm glad I'm not them. I'm glad I'm not the guy that plucked out Jesus's beard. Oh, glad I'm not them. But these guys, they don't like him. Well, the next day they walked by the fig tree again, and there it was, all withered. And Peter said, look, the fig tree. Huh. He knew. See, Jesus cursed the tree. In verse 22, he spoke again and he said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore Jesus said, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Now, when I read these scriptures, I really wrestled with this passage, because so many people use it to say, just pray hard, and you'll get whatever you want. That's what people say. And then they say, and if you don't get what you want, you didn't pray hard enough, or you didn't believe enough. Or you didn't have enough faith. But I really believe it's more than that. I really do. So let's take a fresh look at this passage, okay? First of all, what's the context? The context is Israel and the kingdom of God. See, what people do is they just grab scriptures and they apply them to their lives and they take them out of context and then they, they like, they don't work. We've got to keep the word of God in its context. Who was it said to? Why was it said? When was it said? That's context. So the context is Israel and the kingdom. It's not selfish prayer. It also involves three conditions. Number one, you must believe, right? Have faith in God. Number two, you must not hold a grudge against anyone. Oh. When's the last time we thought about that when we went to pray? Jesus said in verse 25, Huh, 
whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So he's saying, listen, before you pray, your heart has to be right in the realm of forgiveness. Forgiveness keeps your walk real. And did you ever think that maybe some prayers are not answered, not because of lack of faith, but because of lack of forgiving someone? People that carry grudges will not know answered prayer. They won't. It's easy to carry a grudge against someone for years and yet be deceived into thinking that we are, uh uh-oh, right with God. Many people are not right with God. Oh, they'll sit right up front in church and they'll think they're right with God. But if they have a grudge against someone, they're not right. The weakness of prayer is found in the not forgiving of others. That's the weakness. It's not in the lack of faith. It's in the lack of forgiveness. It must be a charitable prayer. One that exemplifies, oh, your walk with God. See, when you talk to God, you have to walk with God. Hmm. If we're to speak with God, we must be on the same level with God. And what is God's level? God is love. God is agape love. Unconditional love. So, if you're going to walk with God, then you have to walk also in unconditional love. And you can't hold a grudge against someone when you walk in unconditional love. They don't go together. So, if this is a struggle for you, before you pray, ask God to cleanse your heart and to show you the value of forgiveness concerning your own walk with him. Then there's another aspect to unanswered prayer. Do not pray with selfish motives. Remember, Jesus was talking about the fig tree. Your request must be for the good of the kingdom. We offer up a lot of prayers to God. They're like, me, me prayers. I want prayers. God, I want this. I want that. How much do we pray about the kingdom of God? Because that's what God is interested in. He's interested in the kingdom and expanding his kingdom. He might not be that interested in answering our petty little prayers. You know, I don't know, but I know what he is interested in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what he's interested in. How much of our prayer life involves God's kingdom? When we ask things of God, does it involve his kingdom? That's a good question. In verse 26, Jesus said, If you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgressions. Wow. See, God has a way of keeping us real. Oh, yeah. He's going to keep us real. And forgiveness is part of that reality. Now, the disciples came back to the temple and with Jesus. And the chief priest asked Jesus, by what authority he did these things? They said, but who, who, who gave you the authority to chase those money changes out and turn those tables over? You messed up the whole place. Who gave you that authority? They thought they had him now. They thought they had a renegade on their hands. We're going to get this guy. 
But if he said his authority was his own, they'd arrest him for being a heretic. If he said his authority came from God, they'd arrest him for blasphemy. So they figured, we got this guy. But you know, here's the, <laughs> here's the lesson. When will people learn? You can't trick Jesus. You can't. Even the devil tried to trick him. He can't trick Jesus. Nobody can. So in verse 29, Jesus responded and he said, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then in verse 30, he asked the question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Now it's like, ooh, ooh, this was a tough question. If it was from heaven, then John pointed people to Jesus. So why did they reject him? Hmm. If they said it was from men, they knew the people would riot, for the people believed that John was a prophet. Ha! Huh. So either way, they're going to lose. And you know how they answered Jesus? They said, we don't know. Huh. These, these Bible scholars, they didn't know where John's baptism came from. Was it of God? Was it of men? And Jesus said in verse 33, okay, no will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I'll tell you what, man, I love Jesus. He, he, like, he doesn't back down. He doesn't care. He's not backing down from anybody. Why? He knows who he is. He knows where he's from. And he knows where he's going. When you know those three things about you, you're not going to back down either. You won't. Do you know who you are in Christ? I hope so. Do you know where you're going? I hope so. Then there's no need to back down. None at all. So, you see, this religious crowd and their own pride and stubbornness, thats that was the problem, pride and stubbornness, they refused to face the truth about Jesus. And they represent, oh man, millions of people all over the world who think the same way. They refuse to accept the truth about Jesus. Oh, they try to twist the truth, wiggle out of it. But in the end, they're in a position where they have nothing to say. But they do remain in that state for fear of admitting that they were wrong. Oh, better to admit, you know what? I was wrong about Jesus, but now I see the truth. Now I accept him. That's okay. That's good. But to stay in your pride and in your stubbornness, that's how you die in your sins. That's it. That's a bad, that's a dead end. That's eternal separation from God. Not a good place to be. The ones who face the truth and the humiliation of saying that they were wrong, at least, they have a future. And that future is bright and strong. It's a future with God forever. Everyone who is confronted with the truth of Christ has to decide what he or she will do with it. We all have to decide. See, God invites everybody in the world into a relationship with him. And everybody responds. And there are three means of response. 
There is number one, yes, I'm coming. And I'm coming through Christ. Then there's number two, no, I'm not going. And then there's number three, no response at all. But no response at all means I'm not going. It's still a negative response. It's like getting invited to a wedding. You get a nice invitation in the mail. Oh, look who's getting married. Oh, they're inviting us to the wedding. Oh, how beautiful. And then you get a check off. What do you want? Chicken or fish? You check it off. Now you're going to make a decision. Do I want to send it back? If you send it back and say, yes, we'll be there. When you get to the reception, there's going to be a table and two seats waiting for you. You're going to see a little matchbook or a favor. You're going to see your name, table number three, and you're going to go to your table. Now, if you say no and you send it back, well, there won't be a seat for you because you said no. If you don't send it back and don't respond at all, there still won't be a seat for you because you didn't say, yes, I'm coming, and you'll be left out. Even if you show up, there's no place for you. So there's only one good answer. Yes, I'm coming. Okay? So when we're all presented with the truth, we will answer one of three ways. Now let's go back and read just the words that Jesus spoke. Okay? That's how we end every session. What did Jesus say? Okay. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he'll send it back here. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples are listening. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them, and they'll be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you. I will ask you one question and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. No, will I tell you by what authority I do these things. (laughs) You see, Jesus is in control. Oh, yeah. He's the commander. He's in control of every situation. And you've got to be. If you're going to come down and be the savior of the world, man, you've got to be in control. You've got to be the commander. And he certainly was. He never backed down from anything, from anyone. He didn't even back down from the devil in Matthew 4. That devil went one-on-one with him, three rounds, Jesus. He went toe-to-toe. And he defeated him. Think about that. 
Next time we're together, Jesus talks about, oh, the important stone in marriage in heaven. Wow. The important stone. You know, there's a lot of stones in the world, right? How many? Trillions upon trillions. But there's one that's really important. I wonder what that stone was. And then he's going to talk about marriage in heaven. Why? Because people are asking him questions. So Jesus, he's always got an answer for every question that is asked of him. And people ask that today. What about marriage in heaven? Will I recognize people in heaven? Will I still be married in heaven? Can I, can I switch? <laughs> I had that one on the earth, but do I want this one forever? You know, believe me, people have all kinds of ideas. I'll tell you. That's people. So these are important things that Jesus is going to be talking about. We'll look at this next time that we're together. Okay. And again, read the gospel. Read the gospels because you get a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, how he responded to life situations, how he loved people, how he helped people. He was there. You can't read the Gospels and then have an attitude against Jesus. Not if your head is screwed on right. If you if you have an attitude against Jesus after reading the Gospels, you got to check the nuts and bolts that hold your head onto your shoulders because I think something's loose because there's nothing but compassion care, sensitivity, and love. Okay, here we go. The Hope Club. Come on. $3 a week gets you an email Monday through Friday in your email box. Nice little devotional set to music. And it's a great way to start the day if you do it in the morning or maybe you want to do it at lunch before you go to bed. Just getting that dose of Scripture, of God's Word, and making it applicable to your life. Go to newhoperadio.live. Click the little menu bar. You can read about how to join the Hope Club. Very simple. And uh, you can support us with $3 a week and we'll send you that email every day. And don't forget about the Hope Club podcast. God's Word on on demand. I like that. Drive to work, drive home, running errands, whatever. God's Word is there waiting for you to divulge yourself, to feed your soul on the Word of God. All of these programs, that's the Hope Club podcast. Okay? So get a dose of the Word of God whenever you need it. Thanks for coming along today. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.